Welcome to the Aurora Cornerstone Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We hope today's message is an encouragement to you. Let's begin. I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. I'm going to try to go through this as succinctly as possible. 1 Corinthians 16, please, if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to bring them. Nothing delights me more than... Uh, yeah, tapping of fingers on keypads is okay, but nothing like the turning of the pages. And so uh, I encourage you to break. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, I'm going to look to a couple of verses in a moment. Uh, I grew up on a dairy farm, and my parents, although they were, multi- they were like third generation on the dairy farm, uh, one, two, three, yeah, three generations, I, I was the fourth, uh, the dairy farm, my dad uh, continued to pay for it. He was paying my grandma for the farm. It was uh, turned over to my dad. He bought it from her. And for until she died, he continued to pay off the farm. I did not grow up in an affluent home. I, it was a lower middle class. Uh, they, we, did not have, we had a vehicle. Uh, we had all the necessities, but we did not have any extras. Frivolous stuff was never to be found in our house. We did have Christmas, we did have birthdays, and we always, I always received something for those. But it was, it was not an affluent home at all. They, it wasn't until really I was an adult that I realized how they really worked hard to keep the roof over and to put food on the table, that they really did work hard. They were such hard workers, both of them partnership in that dairy operation on the farm. Uh, they were very, very busy. Uh, and just when I look back now, and I, I don't know how they did it. How many times we think that of our parents? I don't know how you did it. And that's me with my parents. I don't know how you did it. Uh, the cost of all of that stuff. And, and, and just that they provided for us. My clothes were all secondhand. My cousins, I had wealthier cousins. And, uh, and so I got hand-me-downs. It was, you know, there's some advantages to being the youngest in that side of the family. I was the youngest in one side of the family, and so, now, advantage, I got nice hand-me-downs. The disadvantage is, I got hand-me-downs, right? It's kind of a catch-22. And so, they were nice hand-me-downs. They weren't all worn out, um, but they were still all hand-me-downs. But, you know, I honestly didn't even really think about that because I was provided for. I went to school every day, got on a school bus, went to school, always had a lunch, always had supper to come home to, always had breakfast to get up in the morning. I was blessed. We were blessed. I never once heard my parents complain about money. And I've asked my sisters that question because they're older and Sometimes a bit more, both of them are teachers, and so, I, you know, they got great memories. And so, I, guys, do you remember mom and dad ever complaining? No, no, never complaining about money. Yet they, you know, they had to work hard to make ends meet, but never complained. And here's the other thing. I never thought of this until later. They never talked down about the rich. You know how we can talk down about the rich? Well, they're, you know, they got it easy, blah, 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 blah. I don't ever remember them talking down. They treated everybody right across the board the same. I was blessed because I know a number of you here, you can't say that. You grew up, maybe if you were in a 
difficult situation growing up, you heard a lot of trash talk of the rich. The people that have, and you kind of blame them for all the world's problems. Uh, my parents didn't do that. There's another thing about my family, and, and I give thanks for, is they, um, they were avid givers. Both my mother and my father, they were very involved in the church, and so it's natural for me to be involved in the church. It was a given. It wasn't a given that I would be a pastor. I kind of stepped out of the ranks doing that. But it was a given that I just wanted to be involved in the church. Both my parents were involved in leadership. They were involved in teaching. Uh, Both of them were capable, and so they did it all their life. Uh, And, and, you know, that's a blessing. Um, But in that involvement, they, they, were, they were tithers, and they taught us as children when they gave us our first allowance. My first allowance uh, was, a, was a dime, was 10 cents. That was my first, if I remember correctly. And uh, now back then, 10 cents, actually, there was, a, they were, there was a store called the nickel and dime store. There's no such thing now. Even the dollar store is not a dollar store anymore. And the nickel and dime store actually were nickel and dime. For a nickel, you could buy five bubble gums. And for less than a dollar, you could get a whole set of hockey cards with gum in it, right? So it was just like, wow, what you couldn't get. And so they taught us to tithe. The nickel was the penny. And so, you know, they made sure that they gave us, at some point, 10 pennies to make, sorry, 10 pennies to make the dime so that we could give back the penny, you know. Truly, it was a mite throwing it in the offering plate on Sunday. And then, of course, it went up to 25 cents. I remember going up to 50 cents. I don't ever remember them increasing it from 50 cents. I, have, I probably still need to talk to my mother about that. Um, you know, couldn't you have at least upped it from 50 cents? But it, 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 as far as my memory serves, it didn't. Uh, but I would tithe on that. I want to talk about giving. Giving is something we, oh, don't talk about it, you know. It is one of the most incredible experiences in the Christian faith. And it's not about the church needing money. God's going to provide for our needs. Okay, he's going to provide for our needs, whether you, you get involved or not. He's going to provide for the church's needs, whether Wayne Lucas gets involved in that or not. Because God's God, and he will stir the hearts in the right place at the right time. Here's the point. I need to understand what God's asking of me. And so there's something in my background. I'm going to intertwine that a little bit this morning with you. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 1. Have you got it? Let's read it. The Apostle Paul is writing to the local congregation. He says this, the local congregation, just like Aurora Cornerstone. He's writing and he says this, Now about the collection for the Lord's people. Do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of the week, on the first day of every week, each of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with, their, with your income, saving it up, So that when I come, no collection will have to be made. Just mark that in your Bible so you can come back to that in the future days. Paul's declaring that if they give faithfully, if they give faithfully what God's asking of them, there won't have to be any special offerings. Now, I'm all all for not having to have special offerings. It's the thing about what I do that I like the least. I really don't like it. So I'm all for not having special offerings. Paul, so I want to do this again. Now about the collection for the Lord's people. 
do what I told. In other words, Paul's telling every church. On the first day of the week, what's the first day of the week? Okay. Each one of you, how many are to do this? Each one. Each one of you, he says, should set aside a sum of money, note this part, in keeping with your income. Saving it up so that when I come, no collection will have to, so I don't have to keep making appeals. This is the spiritual discipline. This is the first, this is a New Testament church. Churches he's telling to. This is not Old Testament stuff. But what Paul is referencing to comes from an Old Testament principle. The Old Testament principles found in Malachi chapter 3. And if you go to Malachi, so feel free to jump over to Malachi chapter 3. Malachi chapter 3. And uh, I'm just going to use Malachi 3 myself here. Let me get it. Malachi chapter 3. Here we go. Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, written just over 400 years before Jesus was, was born. Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, it says this, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates or throw open the windows. The earlier version said throw open the windows of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. All right. Now, that's uh, starting in verse 10. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. So, going back to Paul speaking in Corinthians 16, he says, on the first day of the week, New Testament, this is our era where we live in, on the first day of the week, each of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income. What's Paul making reference to? Because they already knew this. They already knew the Malachi text. In keeping with your income, set aside the tithe. Now, how many people here know, because tithe is a strange word, word, we don't use it in everyday living. How much is the tithe? It actually, the word tithe means ten. It means ten. He says, so set aside a ten. Set aside a tenth. He says, in keeping with your income, Paul says, Malachi, the prophet, was saying, the tithe, he says, bring the whole tithe. So a whole tithe means a whole tenth. A whole tithe. So is 9% a tithe? It's not. 5%. I, you hear it all the time. I give my tithe. Well, you actually don't give a tithe until you hit 10%. There's no such thing. It's actually, it doesn't make sense. A tithe actually means 10. So when he says whole tithe, it means 10. So if I give 5, it's called an offering. If I give 4, if I give 8, if I give 9, it's an offering. It doesn't hit tithe until you hit 10. There was actually a, a, a key factor in this. The 10. He makes the whole tithe. And so a tithe, and so an offering, tithe is 10. An offering is everything else. It's everything else. That's an offering. So that's the difference. If you want to know what's a tithe, what's an offering. A tithe means 10. And he says, tithing, uh, as stated in the Old Testament, is a portion that he says, um, actually, if you go back in, in Malachi chapter 3, if you go back to verse 8, it says, will a mere mortal rob God, yet you rob me? Well, how do we rob you, God? How do we rob you, God? So God's saying, people, mortals, that's us, we die. 
robbing God, he's eternal, everlasting living. Will a mere mortal, us, rob God, eternal? We say, well, how? And then he says, in tithes and offerings. You're under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. And then we go into the text. So God is saying that there's a portion that's mine. Now, God gives everything. We could say, well, all of it's the Lord. And I hear people say that. Yeah, I don't do tithe because all of it's the Lord. Sounds really spiritual. Until you ask them, okay, return the tithe. And they don't. Then you realize, no, they're just saying it. They're just saying it because it sounds really good. Sounds really spiritual. I just give God everything. Well, actually, you don't. You're just... I talked about holy, we worship him the way we want to worship. So he says, you actually robbed me. So here's what you you return, because the Lord says it's mine. You return the tithe. Let me use an illustration here. A number of you, I I, I have a library, and I I have no problems lending out books from my library to people. And a number of you know this. I mean, BJ and some of you here, I, you know, you, I, I lend a book out. What I do is I give you the book, you stand back, I take a picture of you in the book. Why do I do that? Because my books go missing. <laughs> Just letting some of you know, there's three here that still have outstanding books. I found your pictures last week. <laughs> but do read the books. I want you to read the books. When the books come back, are you gifting the book to me? You're not even giving the book to me. You are what? You are returning the book to me. It was never yours. It was mine. You're returning. So when we talk of the tithe, the most accurate expression, we try to do it here. We we don't always hit it. We say, return the tithe. Return. So on Sunday morning when I gave my my tithe this morning, Laurie I know gave her tithe. We came back, we were away, we got paid. So we immediately, we want to give, we gave our tithes. We returned our tithes. We didn't gift our tithes. It was not giving because it was already, we already owed it. We already owed it. So I return my tithe to him. So that becomes the expression. And it just kind of puts it in place just as you can't, you can't gift me a book that's mine. You return what's mine. I return to him what's his. He says, return and tithe. That's where he says, you, you rob me. And in the robbing, he says, there's been a curse. In other words, there's a withholding from you. He says, then he talks about bring your tithe. And his, this is the other element. Lori and I, we, we, we like to actually give it. But, you know, to, we live in the 21st century. And the majority of giving is now done online. We get that. We have debit machines. We have online email givings, all the text givings, all the different types of giving, different platforms. Can I encourage you when you give to the kingdom work to pray over it before you, you know, on, I don't have my phone, before you do it on your computer, however, whatever method. Just, I have no problems with that. I don't think there's biblically anything about that. But bring it to them. Bring it to them doesn't mean you have to bring it here. But take a moment before you send it off and pay all those six bills that you're, ten bills that you're paying off, and pause on this one. You can, actually, it wouldn't hurt to pray for all of them. But pause on this one and pray as you send it. God, and, and I'll just tell you, I pray for four fundamental things every, when, I, when I give. And I, of course, I do it more tangibly on Sunday morning. But if you do it online, I pray, God, I pray souls will come to the kingdom. 
because this allows it to happen. It provides ministry opportunities. I pray people will be healed. Inner healing, physical healing. God, bring healing. to your. Oh, God, we really need healing. Anybody want to testify we need some healing today? God, I'm bring healing through that. I'm praying that people will encounter Holy Spirit. He is marvelous. And I'm praying that people will be set free from spiritual addictions, whatever. I'm praying for those four things, salvation, deliverance, uh, person in the work of the Holy Spirit, healing. When I, what, I'm, what I'm doing is I'm bringing something. I'm bringing it forth. I'm, I'm, I'm targeting, I'm marking where the seed's going. And it's in according to his will. I'm not saying, oh, God, I'm, I'm, I'm praying for a bigger car. I'm praying for a bigger home. No, 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 no. I'm praying for your will be done. I'm praying these four fundamental things are part of what you've called us for. And so when I send it, I'm, so what I, that's a bringing forth. It's, it's targeting where that is going. Now, some, here's, the, here's the argument. Some would say tithing's Old Testament. And it is. Actually, uh, it's, the Old Testament tithing was incorporated into a whole taxation system. If you counted up all the taxation that they paid in the Old Testament, it was 33%. Kind of sounds like us Canadians, doesn't it? It's like, oh, tax to the, to the gill. Uh, it was 33%. Uh, so it's a part of a bigger taxation situation. And some would say, but we are in the New Testament. We live under the law. We don't live under the law. We live under grace. Um, but let's pause and, and reflect on that for a while. I, just, I can't get into it. There's, there's a whole teaching I have on this. But... I mean, would anybody believe that because adultery was forbidden under the law of the Old Testament, that adultery is accepted under grace? It's not. Would anybody argue that stealing was, and stealing was one of the Ten Commandments under the law, is it now acceptable under grace? Well, no, it's, it's, it's still stealing. There are eternal principles throughout God's Word, and tithing's one of them. Jesus would validate this in person when he was speaking to a bunch of lawgivers. These were law toters in Matthew chapter 23, 23. Let me read this. Matthew 23, 23, Jesus would say to, and he, he, he said, whoa. He said, bad on you, you teachers of the law and Pharisees. These were people who toted the law. He says, you're a bunch of hypocrites. You go around boasting that you are law keepers. You give a tithe. So you boast about your tithe, Old Testament. Your mint, dill, cumin, all the different things. You boast that you give the ten. But you've neglected more important matters of the law, which is justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Then Jesus says you should have practiced the latter, which is justice, mercy, faithfulness, compassion, you need to practice this. They talked about it, but they never practiced it. Oh, sounds again like the 21st century. Talk, 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 talk. But what is happening is what are you doing about it? That's why be doers of the word, not hearers only. They talk about it. He says, you need to practice justice, mercy, and faithfulness without neglecting. He said this, without neglecting. That word neglecting comes from the word dio. The word dio means necessity, obligation. You have an obligation to, yes, tithe, but in your tithe, don't neglect compassion, mercy, justice. When somebody is hurting, when somebody is marginalized, reach out and do something about it. Don't just say, oh, I give my tithe. 
That's what Jesus was saying. So you're obligated with the tithe. But having said that, be people of mercy and grace. Pour out your mercy and grace to those who are hurting and wounded and suffering around you. Jesus called it forth. So the Bible then goes on in Malachi. It says he will open the windows. I like the phrase windows because that was the first reference to it, the windows of heaven. If you return, if you return, the ten, God says, I'm going to open windows. Now, uh, a number of you this morning came in. I know when I came in, I, the service had already started, and, and the lights were all on the platform here, uh, and the lights were off in the house. Uh, and uh, then the lights came on a little bit later. Uh, yet it wasn't totally dark in here, not just because there was lights on the platform, the spotlights up here, but it wasn't totally dark because we have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. We have seven windows. So during the daytime, we could turn off all the lights. If the, if the power went off, which, by the way, in Cuba, we have a bunch of brownouts. Power goes off. Uh, we actually have lights because what... As far as I know, in the history of this church, nobody has come through any of the windows, and I'm thankful for that. Because if they do, that's an illegitimate entrance. Okay? I've had people come in through a window in the church I've been in. They've come in through my office window trying to break into the church and had a motion detector right there and they threw it off and they knocked over a plant and they busted my window. Came in, motion detector, alarm blaring, and they got back out again, got out of Dodge as fast as they could before the police showed up. Illegitimate entrance. They aren't to come in my window. If you're coming in my window, now, I've had to come in a window because I left the keys in the building. Maybe illegitimate, but I had to get in there. But point is, you don't, this is not a doorway. This lets in light. When it says, I will open the windows, meaning God's going to let in the light. There's a lot of darkness in our lives, and we need some light. He says, if you are faithful in this, He will bring revelation to you. Reveal the light. I will open up windows into your heart. You will see things. You will understand things. You will grasp things you couldn't grasp before. All of a sudden, it starts to make sense. Why did it start to make sense? Because God says, supernaturally, I reveal things to you that are hidden prior. There was a study a couple of decades ago, beginning of the turn of this millennial. And a study was done. My understanding of the study was over all those who around the world who claimed to be a Christian. So there are a lot of nominal people in there, people who really aren't Christian, I'm going to suggest in there, but they claim to be Christian. They, they adhere to the fundamentals of Christianity around the world. And the study came back and said that of those who claim to be Christians, about 20 years ago, claim to be Christian, 1.8% uh, of them, or sorry, of those who claim to be Christian, gave 1.8% of their income to kingdom work. So one point, so in other words, if you, uh, you know, if you made $100, you gave $1.8 towards kingdom ministry. That's really, really low. Okay, that's not 10. Okay, it's really low. And that's all around the world. There's a lot of countries that are in poverty. And so we think, well, yeah, there's people that just really don't have a whole lot. Uh, so, I mean, here in North America, we're considered one of the most prosperous uh, part of the hemisphere. And so we'd do better. Actually, the stats came back. We gave 1.7%. North America actually gave less. Prosperity has nothing to do with giving. And so 
we actually gave 1.7% average. And if we take that text, God says, if you, if you return the tithe, I will reveal myself. I will open the heavens of revelation to you. It really helps us to understand how come we're not, we're not getting much these days. 1.7%. 1.7%. I had a person tell me, and I've said this multiple times. They said that they've traveled around the world. He's from the U.K., he says as he's, as he's traveled to, I forget how many nations he had been to, sharing uh, the message of some principles, he said that in churches that were giving around, if 70% of the people were returning what God had asked, he says they were in full-out revival. He says there was such a move and presence of God, they were seeing people every week being healed, miracles were happening, people were getting saved, they were getting people into areas of government that were helping to turn the morality and ethics of the community around to godly living and to care for the hurting and the lost and the bruised and the, and the broken and all that stuff, 70%. And he said it was around that number, if they hit that. He said on the flip side, often it's around 20 or, 20 or 30% that are doing it, so therefore the heavens are closed, 70% over the church. And based on Malachi, based on the revelation being revealed that he would open up the windows. It was a half a year ago, the, uh, the Lord was really speaking to me and, and it was actually, uh, I don't know if it was a dream or a vision, but I remember getting up and it, and it was recurring. And it was that there was a withholding spirit. I've shared this with those who've been in, in intercession. There's a withholding spirit. Uh, and it troubled me greatly. I mean, it really deeply, deeply troubled me. Uh, it's one of the reasons I, we switched gears. We began to implement new prayer meetings here at the church. We began to just hone in on some things because that really troubled me. What's this withholding thing, God? And because there's a withholding. And I was drawn to, in that period of time, I was drawn to the story in Acts chapter 5 of Ananias and Sapphira. And in the story of Ananias and Sapphira of Acts chapter 5, if you, go to, if you go before that, Acts chapter 2 is the great outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 3, you see the early church. And these are years passing by. Uh, I'm going to suggest multiple years passing by between chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4, chapter 5. More than 10, probably closer to 15 years passing in those chapters. I know you flip through the chapters quickly, but it's multiple years in there. And in that time, you see the church flourishing. I don't mean in, in, in having things. You see the impact in the communities, entire communities coming to faith. There's a whole community called Asia Minor that all of them had received the gospel message during that time. I mean, that, that's revival of what was happening, unprecedented, during chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4, chapter 5. But when you come to a couple and the story slows down, and Luke, Dr. Luke slows right down and he begins to zero in on this couple, these two people. Because there's a person, Barnabas, and we know Barnabas in the, in the New Testament was very generous. He was an encourager. He, he was instrumental in nurturing Paul, the great apostle. Barnabas comes in and he begins to bless and there's abundance and he's in that movement. A tremendous, godly, early church movement. Acts chapter, Acts 2, 3, 4, and 5 movement. And then there's this other couple who were probably, you know, key people at one time in the church, but they got, they feel, feel displaced. And so they want to get back into it again and be recognized as generous people. You read the story in Acts chapter 5 of Ananias and Sapphira, and you read the story where this couple, uh, 
lied about their giving, said they gave, but didn't, and they lied about it. And because the presence of God was very real and very prevalent in that time, remember we talked about where God's glory is revealed, so quickly is the blessing or so quickly is the judgment. And that was happening in Acts chapter 5. There was quick judgment took place and there was death involved in this thing. It was a very sad story. Following that story, it says great fear came upon the church during this time. Following that story, it's like the abundance, the blessing, the prosperity, the, the influence didn't stop. It slowed down. It's like you went from, you know, fourth gear down to first. It geared down into first gear. And then you find chapter 6, the church struggling from there on in for the rest of the entire book of Acts. From there on. And there's a strategic point. I think Dr. Luke was trying to get that through under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, saying, take a look at what happened when there was a withholding taking place. It affected everything that came after. Prior to that, there was, it was, it was carbons. It was opened up. But after that, it's like the windows started getting closed up. And you see that in the church. You follow chapter 5, chapter 6, 7. You keep following it through. It's an interesting study to follow that through. Because God said to Malachi, he says, test me in this. He doesn't use that expression, except here. Test me. Means you won't know until you put your faith into action and test to see if I won't prove myself. Test me. So you can't test him in mind only. You actually have to test him in practicality. You have to do it. Bring, return the tithe. Now, the second thing I want to draw attention to, he said, into the storehouse into the storehouse. I need to mention this. The storehouse means your spiritual house. It's the definition. A storehouse is where each family sets aside and returns their ten to the local place where they fellowship, serve, where the gospel is lived. It's where you live out your gospel, the good news, where you live out your good news. Now, my dad taught me something on the farm. I'm going back to that. When it came time to plant seeds, we, it was called um, a seed drill. And let's say it was corn. We had a lot of corn. So we'd plant the corn, and so we'd fill up the seed drill of kernels. And when I would go and plant the seeds, I didn't head out with the tractor and go on over to Murray Langdon's place and start planting seeds in his field. I didn't head on over to Lawrence Densmore and start planting seeds in his field. I was expected to what? Plant seeds in Arnold Lucas's fields. My dad's name was Arnold. I needed to plant seeds in Arnold Lucas's field. It was a given, son. You don't go to the neighbors to plant the seeds. You plant the seeds in our field. And when the harvest comes in, I didn't take the harvester and scoop up the harvest and then head on over to Lawrence Densmore and fill up his silos. I went to our silos because it was our local planting and receiving. When you plant the seed, it becomes your local storehouse. It's your field. Some would say, well, my storehouse is my family. But your storehouse, it's not your family. My family is a part of my obligation. We are obligated. Now, how you are obligated, you have to determine that. Lori and I have an obligation. We have family members, and so we are obligated with our kids. They're trying to, trying to make a living and struggling with every other 30-year-old, some kids. And so we have an agreement with them regarding to help them. But that's not my tithe. It's not my tithe. Right? My tithe is for the local storehouse. My tithe, my, that's an obligation. 
uh, my tithe is not. Uh, there are some great television ministries and great media ministries, and, and they're great. And I, they're blessed, and they should be blessed. But that's not my local storehouse. Uh, my local storehouse is where I live out the good news. And it's where I am. It's my field. It's my storehouse, my spiritual kingdom that I'm a part of. And so that's, I, my heart's for Cuba. And we've given extensively in the last week uh, for Cuba. But that's not my tithe. Uh, that's an offering. We give of our offering to that. My tithe, tithe is very specific. Tithe is meant for, he says, bring it to the storehouse. It was always pictured in the storehouse. Uh, let, me, let me use an illustration to help us understand this. Uh, so let's say after the service today, uh, we, you go off to Swiss Chalet. Just around the corner, there's one on Young Street. You go to Swiss Chalet, you go inside. Oh, it's nice and warm in there. they got the heat on. You can take your coat off. They sit you down on those nice spongy seats. They've got the nice table for you to sit there. They've got a TV over there uh, with CP24 running 24-hour kind of thing. And so you can you know, get caught up in the news if that's your thing. Um, and, and so they got that going on. Somebody comes over and they give you some water. They ask if you want other drinks, and then they come back with the drinks. And if you want an appetizer, they come back with an appetizer. They come back with the main menu, give you your menu. They take your plates from you, make sure you have utensils and a serviette. You're looked after. You're catered to. You're spoiled. That's why we like our restaurants. And then they maybe dessert. If you still have room for dessert, you can, you know, coconut cream. Ugh. And so you have some dessert. And they cater to that. And then they bring you the bill. Of course, the bill's coming. You know it. They bring you the bill. Now, what would happen if you take the bill, put your coat on, zip out, go across the road, and pay it at McDonald's? See, that's what people do. That's what they do. You give it away. You give it away. It's like paying that bill over at McDonald's. Let me use another illustration. I live in York community, uh, in this York region. And so the police that we see around us protect us. The fire department will rescue us if we need it. The ambulance will assist us. Road maintenance allows me to drive my car. Garbage pickup, hydro, water, gas, on and on. What happens if I take the payment for all that and send it to the province of Quebec? Of course, that's silly. But in the same frame, I'm trying to illustrate something. This is why he said, take it to the local storehouse. So that there might be seed to continue to, to spread the gospel where you are planted. So you can continue to do it. So when I give to my family, I do that as my responsibility. I'm a good steward in how I need to do that. When I give to missions, I give of my offerings. But the storehouse, the tithe, the ten, it's here. And sometimes there's been some bad teaching on that in the past. But that's, you can't get away from this. Uh, I, I like the expression, when I return my tithe, God says, he's, he talks about here, he says, there's a devourer, he comes and devours if you don't. So you end up not having enough. You say, well, I can't afford it because I never have enough, I'm in debt, da, da, da. Yeah, the devourer is having his, play, his heyday with you. Test him in this and watch the devourer is going to get pushed back. I'll protect you. I'll protect the devourer from stealing from you in the tithe. And when you give your offerings, actually offerings multiply. There's prosperity, there's blessing. That will flow when you go beyond. And here's the last. And this is, actually, this is my most exciting part. I want to close with this part right here. It's my most exciting part. Where God redeems the first. And I never, I never heard this until I was a few years ago. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9. 
Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase, so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Note the part that says, the first fruits of all your increase. Everybody say the word first fruit. Okay. Outside the Christian context, we normally don't use that expression. Uh, so, first fruits. Um, so, if I had 10 loonies, just pretend I don't have 10 up here. If I had 10 loonies, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 10, $10 worth, 10 loonies. And out of the 10 loonies, here's the question I'm going to ask. How much of the 10, how much is the tithe? Somebody tell me. One of them is the tithe out of the 10, right? Because it's, it's the 10th of that, the 10th. So one of them is the tithe. Now here's the second question. Which one of the 10 is the tithe? The one on the left? The one on the right? The one in the middle? The shiniest? The newest? Okay. Which one actually is the tithe? Well, somebody I heard somebody said, it's the first one spent. The first one spent. It's called the first fruit. The first one spent. Because it's an act of faith, and God says, when you return the first, first fruit, I'll bless the rest. If you return, if you're spending, 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 and I'll see what I can give God when I, what's left over, there's nothing to bless. That's why we're not blessed. That's why it's withholding. He says, but if the, when you get paid, the very first thing, very first thing, first thing spent before you pay your bills, before you pay that, before, boom. And what happens, he says, I redeem the rest. Blessings pour over the rest, and you're going to see a miracle take place. Okay, this, is, this revolutionized my giving. When I began to understand why tithe was so important, it was about where I give God place in the rest, not spending and then giving Him the crumbs left over. It's called the redemptive portion. And then I began to say, well, is that consistent in the Scriptures? And it's just exciting. I just want to throw these out. I know I need to close. Here it is. Cain and Abel. Um, well, actually, here's where I was doing the study. We just finished a study a few weeks ago called Holy. And when in the first week when I began to prepare that over the Christmas break, when I began to prepare that, I had come to a scripture because I looked up all the words holy, and there's a lot in the Bible, might I say. I, one of them was Romans chapter 11, verse 16. Romans eleven sixteen says this, For if the first fruit is holy, the lump is also holy. I slipped over that scripture how many times, but then it stumped me this time. For if the first fruit is holy... The lump is also holy. If, the fir- if God touches that first one, all the rest gets touched. Now, you can, in verses, true. If that first isn't touched, the rest isn't. If the first one is made holy, watch what he'll do with the rest. So, Cain and Abel. I went back to the Old Testament. Cain and Abel. Genesis chapter 4. Abel, God wanted them to, to give of their offering. Abel... What he did is he went and he gave the first fruit of his flock, and he was blessed. And we are the descendants of Abel. He is blessed. Cain, on the other hand, his brother, the Bible says, brought some of the fruits of the soil. Very specific. Some of the fruits of the soil. And if you go down a little bit later, it says, in the course of time. In other words, when he got around to it, he gave some of the fruit of his soil. Abel, on the other hand, gave the first of his flock. You know, it came out of the mother. He marked it. You're God's. You're the first fruit. Cain, on the other hand, 
when he got around to it, he, he had crops, he was bringing it in. Here, oh God, I'll give you this portion of it. And we know what happened to the rest of the story. Abraham, when God asked Abraham to give his firstborn son, God didn't wait until he had many sons and then said, I want you to give my firstborn. When the first came out, God said, give me the first. Give me the first. And when he prepared his heart to give the first, he didn't actually have to do it. When he prepared his heart to give the first, God said, I'm going to bless every generation. You're the father of the generations. Do you see how that flows? You can, you can follow this through. Israel's firstborn in Egypt, Exodus chapter 13, verse 2. He says, consecrate to me all the firstborn. Consecrate to me all the firstborn. Whatever opens the womb among the children of Israel, both of man and beast, it is mine. Give back the firstborn. Return. I went and I looked up in Exodus 16 times in the book of Exodus. God would declare the firstborn needs to be set aside for him. Set it aside for me. As according to the Old Testament law. The firstborn was to be either sacrificed or redeemed. There was no third option. Let me talk about this sacrifice or redeemed. Every time one of your livestock animals delivered its firstborn, you were to sacrifice it. But if the firstborn was unclean, if the firstborn was unclean, you had to redeem it with a clean animal. Therefore, if it's declared clean, it was sacrificed. If it's declared unclean, it was redeemed with another animal. Now, we understand the story of the exodus of the children of Israel when the last of the ten plagues, they were told to put, they were to take of a clean animal and his blood was to be shed over the mantle, the door frames of their homes, so that their firstborn would live. Because the firstborn is unclean. All of us are unclean. Firstborn's unclean. So we don't qualify. But an innocent animal on our behalf did. So an innocent, so we were disqualified, we're unclean. But an innocent was killed, and the innocent's blood shed on the door frames to redeem us. That's why in the Egyptians, their firstborn born would die. But in Israel, their firstborn was redeemed, they would live. And this became a preempt to our whole Easter Passover story. The story is true about you and me. We are unclean. So there's nothing we have that can be redeemed in us. Therefore, God sent his second son, his third son, his fourth son. He sent his what? His only son, his first. The principles came from him. He sent his first to redeem the unclean, you, me, so that we might have access back to God. God gave the first fruit to redeem us, the unclean, so that we might be made clean and have everlasting. What a beautiful picture. Isn't that amazing? And He redeems the generation. He redeems that which follows. When you give of the first, He redeems the rest. So when we give God the first, we don't lose it. We think, I can't afford to do it. I lose it. No, we don't lose it. When we give God the first, we don't lose it because God actually redeems it for us. But if we withhold, we lose it. 
Matthew 16, 25, Jesus said it this way. For whoever wants to save his life, you want to hold on to it, you'll lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will find it. Ah, get your head around that. So I began to look out their places. Jericho. Remember Israelites came out of slavery? They were going. They were making their way to the land of the promise. And the first city that came to in Joshua chapter 6 was Jericho. Fortified city. And when they took the city, what was God's instructions regarding the spoils of the city? Remember that? Anybody know that? They were told, don't take any of it. What were they to do with it? Return it to the Lord. It's the first city. The next city, the next city, the next city, the next, 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 next. You can enjoy it. It's yours. But the first, do you see it? The first, return to me. Return to me. And they boo-booed there. A guy by the name of Achan thought he could do it, and there was a bit of a problem there. Then they got that rectified, and then they went into the next city, and God says, enjoy the spoils. You're blessed. Because I've, what, I, what happened? I redeemed the rest for you. I've redeemed the rest for you. And we see that, of course, in John chapter 1, verse 29. John the Baptist defines Jesus' role as the lamb to take away the sins of the world. Jesus was God's firstborn, clean, unblemished, and would be sacrificed for us. Jesus was literally God's tithe to us. So I want to wrap this up. When I returned to the Lord, the first of the ten, the first though, bringing all into his storehouse where the gospel is lived, and I test him in this, God says, I will redeem the rest by opening the windows of heaven over you. Thanks for listening to the Aurora Cornerstone podcast. Remember to subscribe. For more information about our church and our ministries, visit auroracornerstone.ca.